Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the 14th Sunday after Trinity is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments about today's sermon, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website, faithlutheran-aflc.org. Now let's join in and hear what God has to say to us today. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the psalm appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Psalm 32, verses 1 through 7. can be found on your pew Bible on page 869 if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Psalm 32, verses 1 through 7. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin." Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 32 is a relatively well-known psalm. We use part of verse 5 at the beginning of the absolution on Communion Sundays. And if you grew up in certain Bible camp, youth group, or even Sunday school cultures, you probably know the song that goes with verse 7. So I needed to do this. Eastern North Dakota people, do they still sing Hiding Place at the campfire? Is that still done? No. Oh, that breaks my heart. Time's gone by. Does anyone know the song, You Are My Hiding Place? I expected it. Do we sing it at Pickerel, Adam, anymore? We don't even sing it at Pickerel anymore. Well, we're going to do it this summer, right? Uh, If I was better at what I did, we would do a round just so you experience how cool the song is. But it's kind of a part of my DNA. I've known the song that goes with this psalm for, what, almost 40 years now. It's a, it's a psalm and a song that should be familiar to us. In fact, what David here sings in Psalm 32 should, in fact, be part of our DNA as Christians. We should be wired to this type of confession. The question for us this morning, and for those of us for whom Psalm 32 is a familiar psalm, have you ever thought about how remarkable it actually is that God allows himself to be called our hiding place. Just beyond the reality in in secular culture that God exists, and and beyond the reality in, in religious culture that God is a God who can be known and can be found, but that he's a hiding place for us that it would be that personal and that intimate of a setting. 
And when you think about it, it's really an astounding sort of thing. And it's especially astounding thing when we consider that external enemies, the, the ones that attack us, that in, in, invade lands and, and slander people, uh, those are a frequent target of King David's as he writes the Psalms. They aren't really the main character here in Psalm 32. They aren't the ones in principle whom David is fleeing from. And so this morning we'll turn our eyes back to Psalm 32 and take a look at exactly who we're hiding from, and I think we'll see why it's so unexpected and important for us to identify God as a hiding place. And so first, looking at Psalm 32, we would confess that we are hiding from a common enemy. Now, in the church, we, we frequently say that Jesus, on the cross and with the empty tomb, saved us from sin, and from death, and from the devil. That's a, that's a normal part of our confession as Christians. And, and the first of those two on that list are easily in view here in Psalm 32. David, after all, is confessing his sin, and it's more or less the entire point of this psalm. Uh, David is also here acknowledging the physical consequences of sin. He writes, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Frequently and rightly, these effects or consequences are taught as a result of our guilt. As a response of our conscience to the conviction of sin. And that's a really good way to look at it. But they also highlight that there are very real and very physical consequences to sin. For those of you who have ever felt the guilt of a sin or of your sin in general weighing on you, you, you know the churning in the pit of your stomach you get when you feel guilty. You know, you know the, the weakness, almost the achiness that comes with the reality that you've harmed someone or that you're under threat of God's judgment? All that is true. But what about that third part of the list? Sin, death, and the devil. Where does the devil come into play in Psalm 32? He's not really mentioned, right? Well, I don't think he's directly in the mind of King David as he wrote Psalm 32. But if you pay attention, the devil's lurking in the shadows just beyond. In verses 1 and 2, David speaks about sin as if the person struggling against sin is someone else. He speaks about the sinful person in the third person. Now, this is because David knows, God knows, and the devil knows that everyone struggles with sin. Everyone is a sinner. And that's common knowledge. And just as he knows that, and God knows that, and the devil knows that, so does the whole world. And this is where Satan really comes into play with our lives as sinners. Because the devil hates you. And the world mocks you. And in this way, in this reality, the devil uses your sin against you. 
It's the devil's goal to drive you away from God by any way possible. One of the most frequent ways he uses is to drive you away from God because of your guilt, because of your conscience. In fact, uh, the sinful nature demands demands from us that when we become aware of our sin, the very first thing we do is we run and hide. Now think about it. We're here confessing that God is a hiding place, but what we want to do as sinners is we want to run away and hide anywhere else. And it's at that point when we isolate ourselves, when we isolate ourselves from fellowship with God, when we isolate ourselves from fellowship with other Christians, that's when the devil attacks. And he accuses, and he accuses, and he entices, trying to convince you that it wasn't so bad. He tries to get you to change your opinion on sin. And then the devil pulls the world in. And fear of the world... Fear of standing alone in your beliefs starts to creep in. And in the end, you threaten to be overwhelmed because the world wants you to participate in the things the world does, and the world will call you a hypocrite or a bigot if you don't do that. And and you can just almost feel, almost even see, the fiery arrows that Satan is shooting at you simply because he knows you're a sinner. And simply because he knows that you know you're a sinner. And it's right there, in that space, as Christians, where we find God to be a hiding place for us. Because God forgives sin. God heals and grants eternal life. And Jesus is our protector and our advocate against the accusations of the devil. God has designed the whole of the Christian life so that when Satan and the world are incited against us and cry, sinner, hypocrite, what he wants us to see and what he wants us to hear is Jesus standing in our place and saying, yes, but I died for that sin. And yes, I conquered that sin. And it's God himself, as he speaks to us in his word, provides us with a shelter, with a safe space, with a space that's even safer than a washing machine. A space that will let us weather the storm of the accusations and the attacks. We hide in God from a common enemy. But there's another enemy we need to hide from. One even more insidious than the devil in the world. And here in Psalm 32, Satan teaches that we're hiding from ourselves. Now, Psalm 32 is an intensely personal psalm for King David. He he gets to the point where instead of talking about someone else as a sinner, he himself before God and before the world for all time. just, Just think about David's confession here. David lays bare his confession before generation after generation after generation of people who have been reading Psalm 32 since he wrote it done. 
As he does this, as we mentioned before, because of his conscience, because of the guilt of his sin, he threatens to be overwhelmed. There are a few more oppressive and overbearing circumstances in life than a guilty conscience. When we have come under the conviction of sin, and when we feel guilty and self-conscious about our own sins and failures, it seems the only way to get out from under that is either to pretend they don't exist, or again, to run away. We get to the point where, oh, God is loving. He doesn't care about my sin. Or, we look around at the world, and we see the world approving of whatever it is we want to chase after, and we convince us, oh, it's not that bad. Or, we again isolate ourselves. But the worst thing we can tell ourselves in our sin and in our shame is that my sin outpaces God's love. That I am such a miserable, horrible, awful sinner that God could never forgive me. And in doing that, we cut ourselves off from the church. And we cut ourselves off from the grace of God. But rather, God would have us to flee from ourselves and from our own guilty consciences to Him as a hiding place. God would have us repent of our sins, to come to Him and cry out for mercy. And in Him, as our hiding place, He will be a place of rest for us, a place of comfort, a place of, of, of joy as we turn from our own guilty consciences and instead hear the voice of God. You are forgiven. My son stands in your place. And it is a wonderful thing to find God as a hiding place when we need to hide from ourselves. The most remarkable thing about Psalm 32, the most remarkable thing about what David writes here for us this morning is that God as our hiding place is a hiding place from God. This is a hard reality for us to reconcile as humans, as sinners, maybe especially even as Christians. But we must remember that our sin offends God. It, it not only breaks his law, but our sin is our declaration to God that we want his job, that we want him out of our way. And God hates sin. He's enraged by sin. We have to remember that God is not some sort of gullible grandfather that we have wrapped around our little fingers completely incapable of seeing our faults. You see, if you know that you're a sinner, and the devil knows that you're a sinner, and the world around you knows that you're a sinner, God, more than anyone else, knows that you're a sinner. 
He knows perfectly. And so think about how wondrous and miraculous and awe-inspiring it actually is that God wants to be our hiding place. He wants to be our refuge. He wants us to flee to Him so that we can hide from Him. In fact, all that the guilt and all of the shame that David describes for us in verses 3 and 4, the physical consequences, the mental and spiritual turmoil, that is God working on us. And so God wants us to hide from God, and our hiding from God is the result of God's work in our life. It's a wonderful puzzle. It's a divine mystery. God wants you to feel guilty because of your sins. He wants you to feel the sting and the pain and the emptiness of sin. God wants you to confess your sins, to acknowledge, in fact, to agree with God that you're a sinner. But in confessing our sins, God wants us to flee to him and to cry out to him for mercy. And it's because as your hiding place, God wants to save you. He doesn't want to condemn you. He doesn't want to smite you. He wants to save you. You see, the reality of the Christian life, of life in general, is that God does and will punish sin. If God did not punish sin, he would cease to be just. And if God ceased to be just, he would cease to be God, and then we'd really be in a bind. But rather than judge us, rather than condemn us, rather than hurl some sort of metaphorical cosmic lightning bolt at our soul, God does all of this to Jesus. He condemns Jesus in your place. The death that Jesus died 2,000 years ago is the death you deserved for your sin. The judgment Jesus received 2,000 years ago is the judgment you deserved for your sin. And Jesus stood there in your place. And Jesus hung there in your place. But to the glory of it all, Jesus rose again in your place. And the blood that he shed cleanses you from your sin. And the tomb that he left empty is a tomb that no longer can claim you. Jesus stands in your place so God can be your hiding place. And the most wonderful thing about God having, having God as a hiding place is that everything God does, he now does for you. I think one of the most remarkable images we can see here at the close of our time together, David warns of the threat of the rush of great waters. And I believe David intends you to see the flood, Noah's flood. 
But because of Jesus, the rushing waters that God used during Noah's time to cleanse the world of sin, those same rushing waters have cleansed you of your sin now. Not to kill you and judge you, but to kill your sin and raise you back to life as God's child, a new creation. God loves you. He cares about you. His desire not only is to provide for you, but to protect you and to usher you safely into eternity. Which means God, in his word, daily and regularly and repetitively confronts you about your sin. He forces you to acknowledge your sin. But it's only ever and always because he wants to forgive you. Because he wants to save you. Because he wants to be your hiding place. Amen. And now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.